Welcome to the All Out Coach Podcast, my friends. My name is Tim Michalashvili. I'm your host. We talk about performance, how to inspire engagement in our business, sports, or in our contests, competitions, or life in general. And when we consider an Olympic event, the Olympics, it's the height of our performance, as well as the engagement that people feel when they have that spirit, that Olympic spirit. Very few of us have a chance to become an Olympian, much less become a competitor in the Olympics or coach an Olympian or an Olympic champion. Well, my guest today coached an Olympic gold medalist, Sally Pearson. She has dedicated most of her life to track and field, to coaching other champions, creating other leaders. Sally Pearson won the 2012 London Olympics in 100-meter hurdles. She set an Olympic record that stood for many years. She was a silver medalist in the previous Olympics in Beijing in 2008 as well. And my guest today, Sharon Hannon, she's a director of Sports Credentials Proprietary Limited. She's been a head coach that trains not only athletes, but also other coaches. She's a franchisee at Aussie Athletics Gold Coast North, and she's currently the coach of a rising star in athletics in 100-meter hurdles, Liz Clay, who competed in last year's Olympic Games and also in this year's World Indoor Championships. She's a life member of Athletics Australia, and today uh, we're going to talk about what it takes to become a competitor and a champion in life, how to clear hurdles to make better and faster decisions. Sharon, I'm so glad to be able to speak to you today. I look forward to our conversation. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> how did you get interested in this sport, track and field, uh, to begin with? Well, I was never an athlete. I was um, a somewhat sickly child I suppose I I used to go and sit on the sidelines and support my brothers and sisters playing hockey and rugby league and other sports um but when my daughter was nine she came home from school with um a flyer or a brochure about um athletic season starting up in this uh little country town that we just recently moved to um and so I took her down to the local oval and just got involved. Um, anything she did, I joined committees or joined um, volunteer workforce or officials or whatever, and and um and just help help out. So that's how that's how and where I started. Yeah, uh, I'm so glad to be introduced to you by a colleague and a friend in my industry, Steve Royal, who I know you coached as well, and he's a track and field athlete who has run a, a very fast time as well in his, throughout his career. How did you become a coach uh, that didn't only help your daughter, but ended up uh, coaching champions and, and even gold medalists? Um, well, the year after we joined the little country club, um, I was working for an airline called um, Bush Pilot Airways, <laughs> typical Aussie name. Um, that became Air Queensland and ultimately um, the, the regional arm of Qantas in Australia. And that was on the north side of Cairns in far north Queensland. 
Um, and the little country town we'd moved to was south of Cairns. And um, the club decided it was going to move from a Sunday morning to a Thursday afternoon after school. And I just couldn't get my daughter there. So I started a club in Cairns because the big, the much bigger town didn't have um, this little athletics. It had a senior athletics club. Um, and so we um, advertised and broadcast and used a lot of contacts and networks and got a club started. And suddenly I had 83 little excited people <laughs> sitting in front of me and I thought oh my goodness now what do I do <laughs> I know I know how to uh, measure a throw in discus <laughs> you know I've watched other events but um what can I do from here so I found out there was a coaching course and I went and did that and did that was a level one and did level two and three and I'm a level four but um, most of my education, I firmly believe, has come from asking questions, mm -hmm. you know, learning about people, learning about life, just asking other coaches questions and, and just having long conversations with people and athletes. Right. And it takes a lot of observation, I think. Uh, some of the best coaches are the ones that really reflect on the human condition. Uh, and I think being a parent, probably helps with that, given that, you know, your experience with your daughter was really what started you, right? Your interest in athletics and, and, and coaching and being a parent is, is, a, is an important lesson in life on, on what leadership means and what coaching is as well. So uh, do you think that you always tended to observe and be very perceptive of other people? Uh, was there something, uh, a coach in you that manifested later in life? I think, um, I think we're all products of our lives. And my mum passed away um, just before I turned 12. Um, and I had six siblings, one older, the rest younger, the youngest two. Um, I've been nurse, nursing and nurturing the three younger ones um, for a couple of years. Mum wasn't very well. And, you know, you, you become, like you said, an observer of people, an observer of people who are interested in you or what you do or people who just aren't and you move on, spend more time with, with the people who offer some um synergies in your life some something to assist something you can assist yeah i think i learned that from a pretty young age yeah uh, and you must have had uh you know this a commitment to to high performance or to performing on and excelling at the highest level which you ultimately taught olympians how to do uh, and, and you started from a clean slate, right? You mentioning those 83, you know, young people, right? <laughs> uh, so what is the role of curiosity and really not having prior athletics experience and just looking outside of the box? What role did that have in your success as a coach? Um, well, I'm somewhat timid, 
for much of the time. So when I go into situations, I like to go in with as much knowledge and as much confidence mm. as possible, particularly when you're looking after young children and, you know, they want to look after you and know that, that they can believe you and understand you and, and believe that you know what you're talking about. So education was really key for me all, all along my journey. And, you know, whether that was formal or informal and um, much of it definitely was, was informal, reading books, reading biographies, trying to understand people and how they thought and how they got through situations. And, um, yeah, probably one of the most impactful books that I read was about one of your people, Aaron Ralston, in um, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. You know, this guy had to cut off his arm to survive. That's pretty drastic, but impressive to to read that book over and over again and see how he planned his trip and how he went about his trip and then how he faced that adversity with processes. So I'm a big process-driven person and that really will resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so methodical and systematic approach. Yes. Quite a, quite a, somewhat of a scientific approach as well. Yeah, uh, data analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Sally, just kind of fast-forwarding a little bit to Sally Pearson, uh, she underwent quite a few challenges and difficulties, right? Injuries as well. How did you help her manage them using your approach or curiosity? Uh, yes, I coached Sally for 14 and a half years. So she was just 12 and a half when um, she joined my squad. And so I had a long time to get to know her, get to know her body, how she reacted to different training methodologies, how she, um, you know, how fast she healed when she did have little niggles just to really understand and know the person standing in front of me as much as I could. So much, just had to learn so much about her. And I heard that she had a navicular stress fracture, right? And you came up with an innovative <laughs> innovative way to co- coach her through it. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, and she was pretty young when that happened. Um, she, she was doing a subject at high school called dance. So she was pretty active and, um, and somehow she ended up, you know, with a combination prob- possibly of dance and athletics, she ended up with a navicular stress fracture, which was misdiagnosed um, for quite a while. And, um, and then we went to Melbourne and, and Athletics Australia's um, chief medical officer, we saw him and he diagnosed that it was by that stage a total fracture. So... Um, there was a fair bit of rehabilitation. And when she she was um, walking and then jogging very slowly, I thought, I thought this girl really needs to feel speed. Like she lived for speed. Speed was part of her DNA from when she was really quite young. So um, I used race walking as a tool for her to get that fix, that speed fix. So we'd get on the track and um, she was 14 at this stage and um, 
she race walked and I would time her and she would try and beat her time. Like she might not have passed um, the judges, the might not have passed all the rules of race walking, but right. she, right. was, she was walking very fast with extremely low impact. So that's what I was trying to work on, make sure that she could feel speed, no speed, but without the impact of sprinting and certainly definitely not hurdling at that stage. Mm-hmm. And what impact did that have? Uh, do, you th- do you feel that was a successful strategy later on? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I felt it was extremely successful. And yeah. it was a segue into, into then to start um, lifting the knees a little bit and getting a bit of stride length and therefore a bit of impact on the track um, so that we could ensure that the foot was going to hold up. There wasn't going to be any repeats. Um, she never had another stress fracture in her foot um, ever. So... That you I can remember. Yeah, uh, you mentioned that you like to study something completely in full detail. Be prepared, because probably preparation is the best uh, antidote to anxiety or nervousness or being timid. Uh, so, if we look at the other end of that uh, confidence, how did you develop that confidence over time as a coach, as a celebrated, recognized coach? What were some of the turning points that that gave you that feeling of confidence as as a coach? Certainly, I think across any aspects of life, I think success breeds confidence. And so as I grew up with Sully and, and, you know, the other athletes that I was coaching, I had a whole squad of, of athletes. As I grew up with them, I grew more and more confident. Um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm 100% confident now. I, I think I'd definitely be lying, but, um, you know, I, I think it's a lifelong learning situation, coaching, so you never know everything. Um, we get bombarded with information these days on on um, digital, you know, platforms, and it can be mind-boggling at times and knowing how to sift through that and and pick out what's real and what's a bit of rubbish is another skill that you have in your coach's toolbox, I guess. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's an interesting statement there. So here you say that you don't consider yourself confident, even though you've coached an Olympic gold medalist uh, and you've dedicated your entire life uh, and you've created so many innovative ways to train that to me, just emphasizes how you strive for performance and improvement regardless of the the accomplishments and the feats that you have achieved in in life and in your career Uh, i'll just pick up on on something confidence comes from having success as i mentioned but every single athlete standing in front of me is a different story and a different pathway and a different background and so Um, incredible success with one athlete does not in my life Mm. mean that I'm an incredibly successful coach. I'm successful if I've gained major improvements with this girl and that boy and that young man and that young woman and, Mm. and all the different people standing in front of me. So, you know, 
you have to being a coach of a person in an individual sport particularly means you've got to coach that person so you've got to keep coming up with different cues even as basic as different cues for different things for different people um one of the other things that i had started doing with a young woman i was coaching before sully uh -huh. was we we were doing what i call sprinting in the pool oh. so the, the athlete stays upright um there's no weighted vest they've just got to use their abs to hold themselves up upright use their glutes to do the tiniest weeniest little movement with the legs to um to keep themselves afloat and keep themselves upright and just sprint with their arms um through that water resistance um and they can in fact go um they can start off as a as a new um coaching methodology the first time they come into pool they can um be extremely extremely slow and they their chin keeps hitting the water and i tell them when that happens just to stop otherwise they're gonna drown but i've never had anyone drown yet um and but they get extremely fast so they um when you're looking at sprints for example um the average female might take about 50 strides to cover 100 meters right um in the pool they can cover those 50 strides in about six or seven seconds wow that's it's just like i still shake my head and i still marvel at it but i have my senior squad um so those who have finished high school so they're aged minimum 18 um i still have them doing sessions two or three times a week pretty much year round even in winter i'm horrible wow. make them get in the pool <laughs> yeah in winter they don't like it even though the pool's heated and so is, is that a technique uh, i'm just curious that you came up with or was it inspired by someone else or something that you had read and you had become curious yourself about or um yeah i'd seen um um uh, quite a few coaches doing pool sessions but the athletes were horizontal on the pool so holding on to the edge um lying across the top of the water kicking legs or right. or whatever or they were walking through the pool and it was extremely slow and laborious and right. speed animals need or speed athletes need to feel speed so i thought i wonder if i can put a flotation vest on an athlete and get them upright in the pool so that they could try and work much faster. And so I just experimented um, yeah. with a young woman who, who had um, injured her patella. So she had a fall. And um, so the whole upper limb and lower limb were all affected because of this patella um injury so and eventually she got good at it and we took the um weighted vest off and then she got extremely fast so it's great so it really enhances a rehabilitation program because you can put them in the water um there's almost no injury that precludes them from doing this work in the pool except um in the early two to three week stages of a hamstring injury but um if they're strong enough they can actually 
hold themselves afloat with just the one leg and just leave the other leg out of the equation. So um, Liz did that with, she had a bit of a hamstring niggle, wasn't a tear, just a, a, a niggle, mm -hmm. we call it. And, um, and she was able to do it with one leg. Despite the injury? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, your approach to coaching, I think, combines the scientific method uh, and the sportsmanship as well. And, you know, I, I think that it, it, it's so relevant in many different fields, you know, across life in business, uh, regardless of a person's background or their training. I think if, if we learn how to think like sports athletes or like scientists, I think these are the two most valuable mindsets to have in, in business as well. So continue to experiment and observe as well. Uh, so you, you often mention uh, being a part of a team. And so who are the integral members of that team that helped you become successful? Uh, helped you as well as the, the, the people that you coached, the athletes you coached? Well, in, in Australia, we have in each state academies or institutes of sport, and they have sci scientists on staff who, once your athlete um, gets to a fairly high standard, and it's very selective, so they need to be at <clears throat> quite a high standard, then you can get assistance from the sport scientists that um, are employed by the institutes or academies. And so one of the first sports scientists I had exposure to was a biomechanist. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of in the fairly early days of biomechanics. Um, and she was just fantastic. And she taught me so much. And all along the pathways, I was teaching her as well. She was learning about the sport of hurling or sport of sprinting or Mm -hmm. um you know and that that helped her as well and then she um had a baby and um moved back to she and her husband moved back to the town in new south wales where she came from and yeah we got a new biomechanist and he's over in the states now <laughs> he, he was with us for about a decade dan greenwood he's um yeah but he's in high performance sport over there and so they were really helpful and right from the very first athlete who had a, an injury from when I was a real novice coach I I made it my my job to if if I had an injured athlete I wanted to go to the physiotherapist with them because I wanted to learn mm. um, about how it might have happened <clears throat> excuse yeah. me and and about the treatment that they were suggesting and about how I could help and what I could observe on the track and what I could look out for to ensure that that, that athlete had the best rehabilitation possible. So I can't always, and not for all athletes, but I ask parents of the young ones if they can uh, um, suggest to the physio could they email me a report so that I'm getting communications as well and I'm and I and I develop a rapport with as many of the physios as I can as well so um, you know and, and that works both ways because I've had athletes referred to me 
for coaching by physios. So, you know, building the squad is a good thing. So um, I certainly didn't do science in high school. I did shorthand typing, bookkeeping, stream. Um, and I, I only did um, up to grade 10 that we have in Australia, which meant I finished high school at 15. So I didn't have a scientific background, but I've learned as much as I could. And my husband has always been the strength and conditioning coach for my um, athletes as well until um, maybe two and a half years ago. Liz Clay, who was at the Olympics last year, mm-hmm. um, she she um, found another strength and conditioning coach and a gym that was sort of smaller, more private, um, worked better for her. And so he and I work extremely closely together as well. So, um, again, you, you learn from athletes, you learn from, you learn from the scientists, you learn from other coaches. Mm-hmm. A husband and wife team of coaches <laughs> and athletes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's... Yes, my husband's actually a jumps coach. He well, he's a she's he's a um, IAAF or World Athletics Level Five um, coach in multi events as well. So yeah. he can coach across the board. So he's very handy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's what's important also uh, about what you said uh, here to to note, I think, is that. Uh, the athletes, they often need multiple coaches, not just one coach, that many of us, uh, regardless of whether or not we're athletes or we know a lot about track and field, I think can can learn from, from you and your experience and, and a lot of athletes as well that you mentioned and how personalized I think those approaches have to be because your dedication is absolutely personal. You manage um, uh, not just the athlete's performance, but their life in, in a sense. Right. So from a perspective of not the coach, but the, the athlete, you uh, primarily coached individual uh, athletes and athletes who competed in individual events, not in teams. Uh, how, how did they uh, consider their competitors or those in their club, let's say, in their track club? What role did teamwork play in in? in an athlete who competes in an individual event. Is it is this still relevant, uh, being being a part of a team and a team player? Even if- oh, I, I absolutely believe so. And um, one of the things where I think um, athletics falls down really badly mm-hmm. is in people, um, athletes and parents of young athletes avoiding their athletic competitors. And so going to a different squad or going to a different coach because, oh, no, we can't go to Sharon Hannon because she coaches, you know, Sally Pearson or whatever, and that's their competitors. And I think they've got it just remarkably wrong, re- extremely wrong, because I think if you want to be the best and get the best out of yourself, you train with the best. And so I've had coaches that I've coached for a few years and someone else joins the squad and beats them. And then suddenly they just leave, you know, whether it was a grown up person who made that decision themselves or whether it was a high school kid who's who themselves or their parents made that decision. And 
I think they were the poorer for it. I, I do believe absolutely that they were the poorer for that decision. Mm-hmm. If you want to be, if you want to be the best that you can be, because right. that's all you can be, the very best that you can be, then you need to train with the best. Yeah, and and if you really want to make that dream of becoming an Olympian or an Olympic champion come true, then then probably you really need to know the, your competition well. And and that brings me to that question that you know many people who are skeptics who watch a lot of very promising athletes, young athletes, and who say, yeah, they're great, but, you know, they really have to go through the hoops and many, you know, to jump through many hoops and, 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 and uh, in order to actually reach that, you know, that the pinnacle of competition, which is the Olympics, let's say. So what, you know, how were you able to take your athletes to the Olympics and, and, and excel there? Not, not everyone did, so what are some of the ingredients, key ingredients? Because I think I, I, a lot of us who are not as familiar, right, with, with uh, that environment on that, that level or with performance at that high level, uh, we think that there's something else, some secret ingredient at play there and that only few people know about. So maybe you can give us a glimpse of <laughs> what you think looking back. <laughs> I do believe there's a secret ingredient in some, um, and and Sully had that. Sully, from an extremely young age, she was a gymnast for many years um, in very early childhood and doing extremely long hours each day. Um, But she was driven, you know, an athlete who, or a young person who just wanted to do sport and wanted to beat everybody. Um, You know, sometimes you have to temper that a little bit because they need to be extremely respectful of anyone who's better than them and do what they can do for themselves to get better. But some some young people aren't that driven, don't have that single mindset of being the very best that they can be. Um, they, They... participate in sport to have a great deal of fun and enjoyment and that's that's awesome you know and without that there wouldn't be sport across the world they must enjoy it but as they get as I've mentioned about me before success brings confidence and as they have a little success and a little bit more success and they nail a technique they've been working on and that's success and all those little tiny steps start developing in them that urge and that drive to continue that successful pathway. Um, and, you know, so suddenly you've, you've now got a person who is extremely coachable and who is starting to believe that they could compete on the international stage. Mm-hmm. Um, that same person could have lots of daily distractions from um, their social life and um, their aspirations to be, um, I don't know, in, in extremely social environments where they're going out a lot and having fun and um, or they could be 
um, money driven. Young people want wheels. They want to have a car as early as possible. So they work, you know, two or three jobs and, and, um, and save, save, save and buy cars at a fairly young age or as soon as they're legally able. And, you know, so different things drive different people. So my role is just to keep planting those little seeds that, you know, you can be successful. You can, you can definitely get to medal level in the Australian Championships, mm-hmm. and then I believe you can get beyond that onto an international team. So it's it's about yeah, so one small step at a time. Incremental uh, yeah. progress is really the key, right? To to the yeah. international level of competition. Uh, and, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I once uh, shared a flight with an Olympic medalist uh, who uh, whose lesson I remember to this day. Unfortunately, I never practiced it, even though I competed and I was very competitive in many different sports. I do have a few trophies, but they ended at about high school stage. I didn't really <laughs> go on after that. Um, uh, but you know, she mentioned that she used to pra- pra- you know, practice many, many hours a day, which to me uh, seemed unfathomable because for me, I enjoyed sports and the competition and the actual the process of it during which I came alive myself. Right. But I didn't have the discipline to practice beforehand. And so I think, I think the commitment, what you mentioned, uh, is, is, is the curiosity uh, right and uh, and that that commitment as well uh, that that are incredibly important uh, the confidence right that you mentioned that build builds up as you s- succeed and and probably as you start to make those those small steps and, and then the preparation now a little bit about the relationship between the coach and the the athlete your relationship with Sally has been publicly you know, discussed and, you know, became somewhott of a, you know, well well-known fact that you separated, you parted ways. Um, and you nevertheless have you continue to coach many other athletes. Um, can you speak a little bit about what are some lessons that you've learned and what you would recommend to other coaches? Uh, in order to manage conflict with their athletes or in order to, Uh, develop relationships you know that 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 lead to positive good outcomes um well given that I started coaching Sally when she was 12 and a half yeah. um, the relationship we had in those early years and through that 14 and a half years um, definitely evolved and evolved and you know became internationally successful and and changed at the same time so towards the last couple of years there were there were some some behaviors that I didn't think were appropriate given the status of the person and how young athletes are really looked up to to that and how how communication changed between us on a daily you know in our daily training environment as well um, and you know I think 
it was more so instigated by the change of being an athlete who was hunting for success and then an athlete who became the hunted. You know, so uh, everyone else was chasing Sally Pearson. Yeah. Um, because the year before, so she got the silver medal in um, Beijing. Um, and the year before the Olympic Games in London, she won the world championship in Daegu in so close to a world record time, but it was a championship record as well. Um, and, you know, she was the pinnacle. She was the best in the world across, you know, the years that it took her to work up to that and then um, to hold. And um, in Australia, there was so much pressure on her or she, she put a lot of pressure on herself to repeat. And with that came a lot of anxiety and distress. Yeah. Not just stress, but distress. And so it, it was very hard to keep Sally somewhat calm and just focused on herself. I see. And, yeah, ultimately the relationship broke down at the end of 2013. Mm -hmm. uh, that must have been, of course, quite, quite stressful and uh, you know, frustrating for you. How were you able to recover yourself as a coach, as, as a coach also with a long-term vision uh, driven by performance to continue to coach others and you know, create a legacy, create other champions? Um, I actually don't think that it really affected me personally. Oh, I see. Um, in my in my daily work, which is which is coaching, you know, and other things like coach education, managing an athletics track, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, I just love what I do, and yeah. you know, like I've said, every athlete standing in front of me is an individual and that, and I believe I'm coaching individuals. They might all line up beside each other and I might say set boom um, and they'll all take off, but um, you know, everyone's an individual. So um, I don't, I don't think I suffered terribly much, but me as a potential coach for others probably in their mindset suffered a little you know some people might have chosen not not to come to me for coaching because you know i'd broken up with sally pearson or whatever i don't i don't really know and that's that's not something that i've dwelt on because that's not something i could really change people right. will make up their own minds but yep. in, um, in 2016, so three years later, um, Liz Clay moved up from Sydney and, you know, left her family and all her friends and moved to the Gold Coast and um, chose me as a coach. So she was already, you know, in her 20s. And, and I think that spoke volumes of both her, 
her decision making and her respect for me as a coach. So um, we've been together six years now and she did also compete in Eugene this year, Um, but she was involved in the carnage that was the women's hurdles and has since had surgery and uh, a few fractures in that foot and two dislocations as well. And it's going to be a long road to recovery, but um, she's, she's absolutely committed. Yeah. So uh, I know it may have not been the most pleasant question to ask, but uh, looking back, I'm so glad that you, uh, you provided some clarity, which brings out loud and clear your, your, your commitment and your character, your strong character as a coach and, and your, the passion for what you, for you, what you do throughout the years. Did you find yourself being a, someone who challenges athletes as well? Uh, because my hypothesis is that the people that love us most or that are closest to us are the ones that probably challenge us the most and make us probably sometimes most, most upset as well. So do, do, yeah, that's do you see yourself as a coach who is very who is strict and who's very who challenges athletes more than others and asks the kind of questions that others won't? Or um, I don't know about strict. Some some people have told me they're scared of me. <laughs> um, I, I have I have boundaries and rules, particularly with the younger ones, uh-huh. um, and I think that's important because some of them don't have that at home and some of them do and you know like I'm pretty famous across Australia um, for one of my rules and that's if if an athlete breaks in false starts in training their session's over oh they have, have to walk and um last year or like the year before I had a young athlete left my squad because um she'd broken twice in a matter of a few months and I you know I said that's it session's over the second time same as I said the first time mm-hmm. and um and um yeah she and her family decided to go find a different coach which is mm-hmm. their call that's their prerogative but um you know I, I think I, th- I think you've got to coach the event and if you false start in a race you're disqualified so yeah. You know, I just just align my guidelines. Um, I've I've coached athletes who I sat down and had lengthy chats to about, um, you know, their their long term girlfriend who um, lived uh, about a thousand kilometres away where this athlete used to live until he relocated, and I I said, come on, you know, Brendan you know, you really need to be thinking about your future, not just your your athletics, but, you know, Nikki's not going to hang around forever. You, you need to um, decide whether you're going to marry her or not. He said, I am, I am. And I said, we'll do it now. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so that was pretty blunt. But, <laughs> yeah, look, you, you do have, definitely have influence and, um and and a big part in in some athletes' private lives because they they talk to you about so many aspects of their lives and mm-hmm. you know I've I've had I've had athletes um, 
you know, coming to me crying about something that happened at home. And and I, I've just tried to to just explain the the parents' take on the situation and, and the parents, um, you know, the way that they looked at the situation. Um, I've had parents come to me and say, look, um, you know, my child is 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 just not putting in the study for their schoolwork. You know, we know they can be do better. Their their grades are going down. They've become obsessed with athletics, <laughs> and um, and so we're going to start using training as as a um, you know, as a takeaway. So if they don't improve their grade, or until they prove improve their grades, we're not going to allow them to come to training. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at me as a mum and a grandma, I, um, I, you know, how can you fault that sort of decision-making process where we're in a knowledge world and, and we have to work really hard to learn as much as we can, regardless of whether the kids think that maths is important, they're not going to use algebra. Mm-hmm. It's important that they use their brains and they learn to um, take in knowledge, retain knowledge and regurgitate knowledge. So, you know, I don't have a problem with parents um, yeah. using training attendance as as a um as something that they can withhold until behaviour improves. And yesterday had a young girl um, qualify to go to our state championships in long jump and in the 100. And she missed two months of training this year because exactly because of that, um, not because of um, um, her grades were going down, but because she'd been misbehaving. And so the parents withheld training and, we talked about it yesterday and she said, I'll never do anything like that again. <laughs> I'm a good girl now. <laughs> you know, and and I think incredible life lesson from the parents. And and you know, they definitely have buy-in from me as well, because you've got to be a good person in this world, um, first and foremost, before you can be an athlete. Yeah, wow, yeah. Just uh, brilliant words there, words of wisdom. Sharon, you mentioned your daughter being a mom. Uh, I'm very curious to see if your daughter continued on her path to becoming an athlete. Or you, you had invested so much time into so many athletes and young athletes. How about your daughter? Just curious if did she uh, is she in any way associated with athletics? How about that? <laughs> Um, she loves athletics and particularly her oldest daughter is obsessed with Mondo de Plantis, discovered, discovered him during the, um, 2021 Olympic games and has followed him ever since. Oh, the and, um, yes, right? yes. Holder. for those, yes. Of, those uh, see, I followed, uh, track and fields. Not everyone may follow track and field on the all out coach, uh, audience, but yeah. So, so your granddaughter may become a, a, a pole wall, pole vaulter. No. <laughs> No, she's just personally, personally obsessed with Mondo and and you know, just just his moves over the bar and how he gets up there and how he he seems to be able to do it so easily. Um, yeah. No, unfortunately, I have three grandchildren and they. Um, our grandson hasn't so much played sport um, for 
quite a few very good reasons, but um, uh, the two girls have played sport through school, um, basketball, basketball, oh, okay. volleyball, yeah. hockey, gymnastics, um, you know, because sport is part of the ethos of the boarding school they came down to, and that's, that's where I'm head coach um, yeah. of athletics and cross country at the moment. Um, but, you know, they, they well, uh, the youngest is only in graduation year from high school this year, so she graduates in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, so who's to know whether she'll carry on with sport? But they've all, they all helped us in the business with major, major events. Some of your listeners um, may have even um, sent one of their children to Australia with a group called Down Under Sports. And we ran the Down Under Championships in Australia for 19 years until COVID. Um, and uh, it was a huge event in our the fire, not 2019 or 2018. Um, there was over 300 American high school kids who came out. And interestingly, Emma Coburn, um, who's your well-famous steeplechaser, multiple mm -hmm. champion. Mm -hmm. um, she ran her first ever steeplechase event at the Down Under Championships in Australia um, at the 2013 World Championships in Moscow. I was in a lift at our team hotel and a group of American athletes um, got in the lift and this one guy said to me, Australia? Oh, actually, I won't even try and do the American accent. And he said, Australia. Um, he said, I've been to Australia. I've been to Brisbane. And 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 um, he said, I competed there at the Down Under Championships. And I said, well, you, you, you landed in Brisbane, but you actually came to the Gold Coast for the Down Under Championships. Um, and, yeah, he was, he was doing high jump. So yeah. in my retirement, when I sit back i'm going to go through all my results from all the down under championships and all the american results i'll google every one of them and i'll work out how many american high school kids who came out for down under ended up on the world stage i think that would be a very good little research project oh okay <laughs> being there you go that's uh, that's the approach to have to to, to be successful and to pass on uh these lessons i think to to the other coaches as well who are listening here i think to us uh and you know keeping track of those records uh i remember uh, when i was probably eight nine years old watching the olympics and you know these were my idols uh, a lot of the track and field athletes carl lewis you know back in the day of course and, and many others i used to uh, measure my long jumps i would always have a tape measure i still do that today with my children Right, you know, uh, um, and find all kinds of different interesting ways to kind of inspire them to uh, finally jump over a mat. You know, uh, like telling them to imagine that there's a puddle, dirty puddle, uh, over it, and just try to find. And, and I actually recorded that as a result of kind of saying that she probably, uh, my daughter, she broke a record. And to this day, we actually run. I have them run a uh, hundred meters in the mornings, and they they track their personal records. I make them do that in their notebook. So I don't have the athletics background, but I at least I have that coach's mentality, uh, Sharon, uh, that I'm trying to pass pass along to my children. And uh, so who knows if my dream of becoming an Olympian 
may uh, hasn't come true, maybe theirs will. A couple of things I didn't respond to in your previous question. Um, <laughs> my my daughter was a race walker, and um, ultimately she got um, pubis synthesis. So um, at the joining of the hips, where the pubic bones um, have cartilage between them, that that um, became inflamed and long-term inflamed. It was, wasn't diagnosed for quite a while. So she ultimately had to give up race walking. Um, but yeah, she, she loves watching athletics. And she went to America um, on um, an Australian tour group, similar to Down Under Sport, which is now um, uh, reinventing itself as Coast to Coast athletics over there and they're going to bring out a group next year again but um she went to america and she got to meet carl lewis at the mount sac relays so yeah. there's a little bit of a tie in there as well oh wow yeah, yeah. uh yeah in sports i think injuries and excelling in performance are hand in hand and there there's there's the lines are so blurred between them and that also is something that i've observed for many years there's such a a short uh, kind of distance between an injury i guess and, and success one thing that i wanted to mention to you is that i used to my interest in my love for track and field dates back many years as i mentioned but you know coming to new york i used to attend the grand prix every year and i would always get the front row seats uh and i one one year i had the the fortune of witnessing uh, Usain Bolt's uh, world record, oh, right? wow. 972 in 2008. Yeah. yeah, which I still remember to this yeah. day. So I, I tell that to my children all the time. So now they tell me that they they actually got a chance to witness Duplantis's world record. Uh, so they're, they're kind of, that's their re response. Sharon, I've really enjoyed hearing a lot of these nuances, these details that to me, they were absolutely inspirational. I think you bring, uh, you bring in a perspective of how to draw that competitiveness inside of you, become more confident with success, with be committed and also be curious. Right. And, and I think those are the four C's that you told me about. Is there a final message that you would like to share with those who are going to listen to this discussion, who are, who are coaches, who may be aspiring coaches or athletes, or who may not even be athletes, um, how to, uh, you know, excel in whatever it is that you do, uh, improve your performance and also your, your relationships as well with others. Use as many mentors as you can. Okay. You know, just talk, just talk to people. They might not even, or you might not even realise at the time that they're mentoring you. But if you're asking someone a question, then you're learning. And to me, um, if it's a coach, it's mentoring. Um, if it's life, if it's a life question you're asking, you know, if you've got something you can't quite um work out and you're asking someone it's it's mentoring so it's advice it's enhancing enhancing your your skills across everything that you do and say i think uh, well it, personally uh, i can tell you that i've gone from measuring my long jumps 
and those of my daughters uh, to measuring performance in the pharmaceutical industry, in the medical affairs function, where performance mm-hmm. is not always measured uh, with numbers and words, but rather communicated via pictures, which leaves a, a lot to interpretation. And that's what I'm trying to change by uh, with the company that I formed, uh, Amadev Pharma. Uh, mm-hmm. where I'm helping other organizations inspire future performance and also measure it using a medical productivity index that I've created. So for me, you know, an, an inspiring performance is ever so critical today in a fast-paced environment and business environment and our industry as well. So I really look forward to your lessons, which are relevant to many of my colleagues as well in our upcoming Medical Affairs Innovation Olympics, in which you'll be a keynote speaker. And I'm ever so grateful to Steve, Stephen, Stephen Royal for introducing <laughs> me and to bringing me that much closer to that lifelong dream of being in an Olympic through listening and living through the, your experiences there. So let's continue to stretch. Um, sportscredentials.com.au <laughs> You're welcome. It's been a uh, 